0: Welcome to the Movies on the Brain podcast. I am one of your hosts, Brian Seawood. And with me this afternoon is my good friend and my co-host as always.
1: Wait, we're going new ca- newscast voice? I-, I didn't know we are going newscast voice, but uh, I'm Chad Metz. Uh, that didn't get the memo on the newscaster voice.
0: Welcome to the Movies on the Brain podcast. So, Chad, let us talk about the one, the only, Buzz Lightyear. Buzz Lightyear, the individual superhero astronaut who spanned multiverses of madness to conquer the box office and be eaten alive by the dinosaurs. Your thoughts, sir, on the Lightyear and his magnificent journey to infinity and box office failure?
1: (laughs) I mean, is it a box office failure?
0: Um, by Pixar I mean, standards, yeah. I mean, and and considering the quality of the movie and the quality of the the more good positive word of mouth and everything, like yeah, it's it's kind of a disappointment. Although it is the highest-grossing animated release uh, in the pandemic era, that'll of course be topped next week by Minions.
1: Yeah, uh, so I, so I think disappointment is a better. You know, it's it's a better uh, descriptor than than a failure. Uh, I don't know what Disney expected from this. I mean, honestly, I thought that it was uh, like a shoe in the open number one because it is Pixar, it's animated, it's uh, a a Toy Story kind of spinoff. And, you know, the box office has been, you know, gaining more traction, more speed. Um, so it, it's it looked like a shoo-in um, and you know with all the Pixar's they've been going to Disney Plus this was like the one that was guaranteed I always thought was a shoe in to be released in theaters because they knew they were going to make all that money so it, it coming up second is disappointing I don't know what, what they would have expected Um. like what numbers they were really looking at were they looking at like 80 plus Million opening weekend? If so, then yes, it's a really big disappointment. But I think in the in the end, it's going to make all this money and it's going to be, you know, probably a modest success for Pixar. Um, but I haven't seen it yet, so I don't I don't know how good or not it is. I've heard varying things, with you know, but a lot of that is people not understanding why we're even doing this movie or uh, not watching this movie or whatnot. The fact that they so, have to
0: have a... They literally have to have a title card in front of the movie that is like, in 1995, Andy saw this movie. Oh, that that's how that movie... That's how it starts? Yeah, that, that title card is accurate.
1: Okay, so... Because I knew it was going to be something like that because they've been talking enough about it. Um, and, you know, like I've said before, the whole premise of the movie was breaking my daughter because she was like, "Why? What? What are we doing? How? How did this movie exist with all of the other things surrounding it?" Uh, so, it's good. I think it's good that they had the title card. They maybe not the title card, but they explicitly tell you that you know this is the movie that inspired everything else about Buzz Lightyear. I wouldn't have gone that route. I would have made this. Um, uh, the contemporary version of uh, a Buzz movie that was inspired by the things we saw in Toy Story, because this movie just seems to have modern day sensibilities. So I don't really think it matches up with what we saw in nineteen ninety five. But you know, they did; they went this way. That's fine.
0: Yeah, I mean, like my thing basically is that like we were remember we did a p- full like hour and a half podcast breakdown on all of the long twitter thread that they did on investor day 2019 and they announced that lightyear was a thing and it all like i remember vividly like the visceral response to tim allen not being the voice and that immediately sending people into a frenzy even though they explained what was going on in the tweet uh, Evans had to come out and say some things, and, then, and Pixar had to come out and say some things. So, like, it was the whole deal, and and I remember that very distinctly. The fact that we circled around to that dog eats, uh, dag, dog wagging its own tail again, four you know, four years later when the movie, three years later when the movie comes out, like, is funny to me actually. But I love Tyka in this movie. I love the action in this movie. Chris Evans doesn't brings his. Captain America, uh, flare to Buzz Lightyear, which is something that, you know, I, uh, I truly understand and appreciate. Um, and it's, it's a man out of time story, which kind of, you know, kind of fits with the, with what they, uh, what Evans has done with, uh, Captain America. So I'm all for it. It's fun. It's, it's interesting. It's not the Pixar movie I wanted though. I wanted the Rex movie. Uh, but that's just me. Um, and if I can't get a Rex movie I need a slinky the dog movie but the slinky the dog movie would have been an earnest movie and uh, that can no longer happen and hasn't been able to happen for about 20 years so um, if you don't know who Ernest is go Google Jim Barney and do yourself a favor because none of those movies are streaming in one place the way that they should be but but the Ernest movies are amazing um, and scare yourself stupid and go to camp and go to jail and play basketball and all the different things. And then you'll realize that a Slinky the dog movie was completely necessary.
1: Yeah. Every time you bring up Ernest, I can't, I always forget that these things are not on Disney plus where they should be. And
0: I think, I I think Ernest goes to camp or Ernest goes to jail is on Disney plus, but everything else is kind of, is kind of all over the place. I don't know if it's a, a streaming rights thing with the Varney family. I don't know if it's a, a rights thing somewhere else. But yeah, they're not all in one place as they should be, because it was a, they were all Touchdown movies. So I would assume Disney owns all the rights.
1: Yeah, they. So I think it's weird with Ernest because uh, one of the other podcasts I listen to, um, I think, is Laser Time. They talked the about Ernest thing? and how. Yeah, that yeah that how that's how the character came out. So, I don't know. I think the rights are kind of fishy there because of where it started. Even though Disney dist- distributed uh, distributed uh, the movies, I don't know if they actually own the rights to the characters. But you would think that whoever does would see the money that in having it on Disney Plus and make sure that happened.
0: Yeah, I mean, in this, especially in this day, day and age of consolidation and all of your. Fan favorites in one place, which is the whole business model of Disney Plus. Um, that those movies have a dedicated fan base. Anybody who's over the age of thirty, between the ages of thirty and forty, I'd say between thirty and forty, or thirty certainly thirty and forty five, knows who Ernest was and knows those movies, and though they were a valuable part of their their childhood, so it would seem to me you'd want to capitalize on the nostalgia. But again, there's also a chance you could recast uh the voice of Slinky the dog and for the for the major motion picture that he deserves
1: yeah that would have that would have been something, but you know Jim was gone too soon
0: so what do you think of uh what do you think of the the fact that the dinosaurs beat it out? I mean they're on pace for another billion again. <laughs>
1: I am not surprised Uh, when we were talking about it last year I was like, I mean last week I was like, you know, the last two made a billion this one's probably going to make a billion too. These are movies that, you know they're, I'm going to say this and people will probably get offended but you shouldn't Um, but they're the equivalent of the Transformers movies now, at least the first three or four Transformers movies People like the concept. Uh, they like the nostalgia of it all. And fifteen years
0: back. since since Optimus Prime
1: debuted. It's been that long, man. Uh, yeah, get it back so, in
0: theaters next week. Oh, really? Putting <laughs> the original the original uh, two thousand five movie back in theaters.
1: I I think that one is definitely the best of the Bay movies, but. As I think about the Bay the Bay movies, it just upsets me more and more. So I don't know. I don't it think it upsets
0: I could... you. It brings me great joy because I got to sit next to you while you both simultaneously <laughs> raged out and fell asleep in the same
1: movie. See, this is what this is what the kind of friends you have when his his definition of joy was watching me struggle on on different emotional ends with one movie and finding joy in it. This is my friend, y'all. This this is a person I talk to every week.
0: Hey, I just I just have to remind you also that Academy Award winner Anthony Hopkins was was in that movie.
1: I legit forget that he was in those. I'm not surprised. I legitimately forget that he's in those. By the way, while we're on people that's in those movies, people need to appreciate Joshua More uh, than just being the guy the wacky guy in the Transformers movies because that guy's awesome and he does not deserve to be anywhere near those, those dumpster fires but that's where he is that's what a lot of people might have seen the first time but if you've seen uh, you know the isn't, Batman isn't
0: isn't, uh, isn't multiple Academy Award winner McDermott in there too
1: what well, McDermott isn't well,
0: uh isn't Frances in there too
1: she is in one of them it's it's back before I knew, I don't know I don't remember which one she's in. It's back before I knew who she was because I didn't see Fargo until I was way older. But yeah, she's in one of them. It might be the first one. This is it the first or second one? And <laughs> I didn't realize that until after like her second Oscars, where she kind of you know played like hoity toity and kind of high and mighty with you know the art and the craft. And I was like, but you've been a Transformers movie. But, paychecks, yeah,
0: forget ba- that. paychecks baby paychecks yeah yeah so, And
1: they paid a lot of people off
0: so like here here's my thing i saw the movie i have been blown away by the reception to this movie because i seem like it seems to me like i'm the only person who was bored in this movie like completely bored because the dinosaur action is sparse until the third act what is going on is really two c- separate tracks you're dealing with the alan grant and um Sadler, um story over here that involves locust genetically altered locusts that are eating the food supply and chris pratt and bryce dallas howard and old you know old girl who let all the dinosaurs out who's now a teen and that story and that's these two stories on separate parallel tracks and then eventually they merge together in a way that isn't very interesting um but like it's boring it's not fun the villain is a guy who's a really good actor who's done a lot of really amazing things over the years in various character actor roles um they give a redemption story to wong for some reason unbeknownst to me or god um they completely do a last jedi you know retcon on or a uh rise of skywalker retcon on uh the whole uh clone thing turns out that she's not technically a clone mommy just injected herself with some things and created her because she wanted to have a baby and then altered that baby's DNA to prevent it from having the genetic disease that she had, um, which is all very messy. Uh, um, uh, they The thing that I think I was most disappointed in was that they threw stuff in that very much seemed like our old boy Chris Terrio when he was talking about Rise of Skywalker. Where it's like, here's a checklist of things we're just gonna check these off as we go because they think that we think they'd look good on screen. Chad, you've heard me on this podcast talk for years that my my prop my uh, my pitch for a Jurassic World or a Jurassic Park four or uh, four movie was that the the canister right the the shaving cream can that Nidry an drops and falls and encases itself in mud right and that you would have to go and find that because. The coolant in it was getting ready to run out and then the embryos would no longer be any good. And you get two sides, uh, you know, racing to get to that, um, two teams racing to get that shaving cream can so that they can either destroy it and keep more dinosaurs from being made or get it and make more dinosaurs. That was always my pitch for Jurassic Park four. That shaving cream can has never been talked about. It has never been seen. It has never been touched. Nothing has been done with that in either one of the two Terry, the two uh, Trevorrow movies. Okay. Randomly in the third act deep in the third act of this movie, the shaving cream can makes an appearance and is not talked about by the individual who has the shaving cream can. We don't know where it came how he got his hands on it. It's clearly aged. It's clearly beat up. You know, how did the embryo survive with the coolant and we're not told any of these things. We're just shown the can. And then we are shown the dude dying the same death that Nidri did and the canister rolling out of the cart. That's it. We're oh. just shown the thing. And then the thing, the person dies, and the thing rolls away again. No explanation, but it's just like, re- look at this cool little Easter egg from the original Jurassic Park. They did it. They did it also with uh, you know, the shirtless scene. You know, everybody remembers uh, uh, Jeff Goldblum uh, must go faster with on the back of the jeep with the shirt and the the rip muscles and everything from the yeah. from ninety ninety three right. Yeah, they, they do a little thing where, like, his, he, he's running and his shirt's like halfway unbuttoned and old black girl who is randomly inserted into the plot as the pilot for the movie. Um, she uh, looks at him, and says, hey, Bubba, you, you might want to button up there. And he looks <laughs> down and he realizes his shirt's unbuttoned and then he buttons back up. It's like, what? In the middle of all this chaos, you're running from genetically enhanced dinosaurs, locusts, burning locusts are falling from the goddamn sky, and you're going to worry about this middle-aged man who's running without his shirt on. Really? Really? And that was done just specifically to call back to that scene where he's in the back of the Jeep without his shirt on. It's like the third act is full of stuff like that. There's a whole they stop and have a whole conversation about why grant and Sadler didn't end up together and have kids like the little they end up meeting up halfway through the third act with this little uh, halfway through the second act with old uh, old gem, genetically engineered girl right and she she's like y'all have kids and she's like well i have two and they're grown well do y'all have any together oh no there's Like, they stop and have a conversation about that for no real reason. These are the kinds of, like, ham-fisted franchise-nod things that pissed everybody off in Rise of Skywalker. And yet this film is going to make a billion dollars. It makes no sense
1: to me. Because dinosaurs. Dinosaurs.
0: But even the dinosaurs, Chad, like they stumble over the names. I'm sitting here in an IMAX screening with a premium sound system and like they may say the name of the dinosaur once and like really quickly and fastly. Dinosaurs with bird feathers show up for no unknown reason. And they don't explain what the name of the dinosaur is or how the hell it is genetically evolved to the point where it is feathers and can swim the dinosaur can swim, Chad. Like they, they don't say the They don't even name the new giant ass T-Rex that they've 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 put out there. They don't really ever, like, say its name, really. Like, it's it's like we're just going to show you cool things and you're going to applaud cool things and eat your popcorn and then we're all going to leave happy. And it just is like, what? How? What? No! Michael Crichton is turning over in his grave somewhere.
1: Well, um, again, the best thing I got for you is dinosaurs.
0: Like, I expect that kind of stuff from a Fast and the Furious movie. At this point in my life, I have sat through nine Fast and the Furious movies, the majority of them in a theater. I accept the fact that a magnetic, a plane can pick up a a, a car that is flying through the air with a magnet and lead it to safety. I can live with the fact that John Cena can zip down a zipline for 500 freaking miles without stopping.
1: I can't. I can't. I can't.
0: I I can live with the idea of a Pontiac from the 1980s being shot into low orbit slash the outer space, outer space enough for the International Space Station to take in our boys. Like I They can took out
1: a satellite with it. It was freaking outer space. They were in the orbit. I can't. They took, it, I can't.
0: They, they took a satellite out with it and survived an explosion in space. <sighs> like, I'm okay with that because over the course of the previous nine films, they have escalated from being DVD player thieves to outer space rocket men. And like... Paul Walker's last stunt in the entire franchise is him running up the damn bus as it falls off the side of a cliff. Like, I'm okay with that because they've they've built up that goodwill in me. Jurassic Park, the first one and the second one, and for the third one, for that matter, are much more grounded and much more based in Crichton's original novels and the science of it, and the in the ethical and moralistic question of Should you know just because we can, does that mean we should? And that's that's the ethical and and moral question behind all of Crichton's work in those two books. The films grapple with that, these films aren't grappling with that. These films aren't really even criticizing capitalism all that hard, they're just like dinosaurs, popcorn, eat.
1: (sighs) Oh, again, I really got nothing but but dinosaurs. I mean i saw the first one and you know I you saw the one what, with
0: the hamster balls
1: one with the hamster balls which was dumb but you know it's
0: no not no what was dumb was old secretary girl dying a very long and very excruciating painful death for no reason at all
1: no no, no. that wasn't dumb that was mean and petty and spiteful for no reason but it wasn't dumb um But I understood why that one made a billion dollars. It's nostalgia from the first one. It echoes the first one. It's the completion of the part from the first one. And then things go wrong. It's what we always... like. it It was one of the logical steps to take with Jurassic Park. So I understood why that one made a billion. I've still yet to see all of the second one. But what I have seen of the second one makes me not want to ever see any of the other ones.
0: Well, I mean... Like the, the volcano eruption, and the the volcano eruption and the evacu- the, the evacuation off the island in the in the last movie in, in Fallen Kingdom is not great, but where that movie shines and where that movie thrives is with um, is with the haunted house stuff, the gothic mansion stuff when they when they get to the auction. And the dinosaurs get loose and now you've got a raptor running around a haunted house and them trying to to deal, deal with that. It That's a kind of a cool concept that you wouldn't really think of. Um, and then, you know, at the end you get, get old girl letting everybody out and then you're like, okay, well, now we're going to have a human on, on dinosaur war and the dinosaurs are going to win and we're just going to end with the full destruction of mankind. And we don't even get anything close to that. So, like the, the closing shots of the movie are literally, one of them is 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 a triceratops walking with elephants, <laughs> just walking along with elephants. It's it's lions and and uh, velociraptors running around together on the Serengeti, like yeah. Uh,
1: I don't know, man. It's those movies. I, I accept that they weren't for me with the second one and especially with the second one making a, a billion dollars so this one it has an audience and the audience brings in a billion dollars uh i i want to say some of that is you know international and in how you know the the translation of dinosaur action translates to you know movie action around the world but like you said you know it sounds like it drags and doesn't have a whole bunch of them sometimes so The fact that it has the legs going right now with people saying that kind of thing, it just means that, you know, people just like these movies, and whenever the dinosaurs show up, they're here for the dinosaurs.
0: All right, so let's move on. So, Chad, before we started this podcast tonight, I rewatched the season finale of Loki Season (laughs) 1. This is your casual reminder that Jonathan Majors is awesome, and is going to make an amazing Kang, and that he is going to conquer all of our hearts.
1: I won't argue with that. The last thing I saw him in was actually uh um uh, the harder we fall the the western the western movie, but uh yeah, everything he's been in that I've seen him in, I've loved him in and I want to see him in more things and I know we're getting there. Like his uh, you know, his star was ascending right in conjunction with The damn pandemic. So while we've gotten a few things from him during that, I think we're about to get a whole lot more in the next like year or two because he's gonna be able to work more. Uh, And yeah, that dude is he is amazing. Good old Marvel for getting him early and getting him in uh, like what looks to be a substantial role. And I'm just excited to see not only what he's going to do in, in regards to Marvel. But just what he's going to do with his career going forward, because he can do anything.
0: So stick a pin in that, and we'll we'll circle back around to that here in a second. But uh, I wanted to call your attention to um, an article that was written on our our good fr- at our good friends Collider that uh, kind of frustrated me just a little bit. Um, so. The basis of said article was basically this. I'm going to whine. I'm going to complain. Because I got a, a three-minute shot in a movie called The Multiverse of Madness of Stephen Strange and America Chavez fla- uh, falling through six universes, some of which call back to comic book universes, some of which do not. And... Then they land in the most boring multiverse ever because all the difference is, is green means red uh, stop and red means go. And, you know, that's a very bland and boring thing. And, you know, they do these futuristic visions where they will play your memories. But how stupid is that? Because, you know, then Joe Blow on the street can see your most intimate memories and, you know... It's really sad that a movie with an awesome title like The Multiverse of Madness like totally bums you out because it doesn't actually give you any multiverse. Okay. that's the basis of the article. I am here to present the alternative case. So we all got to a place in, in, in July 2019. It, it was called uh, um, San Diego. And at said San Diego Comic-Con 2019, uh, Kevin Feige got on stage and he said, and I quote, we are not here to talk about what we could spend the next hour talking about what we've done, or we can spend the next hour talking about what we will do. And then he proceeded to roll out the entire phase four slate. Do You remember this, Chad? I do. Do you remember all the wonderful praise that, that the Doctor Strange sequel was getting for the title Multiverse of Madness? And how many people thought it was awesome and we were going to get amazing things, right? I do. And then a year ago in in 2021, June 2021, we got the uh, aforementioned finale of Loki. And we got He Who Remains and Sylvie and Loki battling to the end. And, you know, Loki uh, being pushed into a TVA timeline and Sylvie sticking a uh, sticking a sword there. In, uh, in He Who Remains, killing him and branching off all the multiverses, and Kang the Conqueror statue is the closing shot of Loki Season 1. And everybody's freaking out, thinking about all of the implications that this now means for the cinematic universe going forward. Right, Chad? You remember that? Yep. Yep. So I can understand, given those pretexts, how some people, as whiny and mopey as they may be, could whine and mope about the fact that uh, the multiverse wasn't up to their expectations. However, narratively, I will say this. The title of Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness does to me and to the reading, my reading of the film, under no circumstances, refers to the actual multiverse concept. It doesn't refer to Earth-616. It doesn't refer to the, the plant world. It doesn't refer to the paint world. It doesn't refer to Earth-818. It doesn't refer to any of those kind of things. Okay? The multiverse of madness is about one thing and one thing only, and that's Wanda Maximoff, who at the very end of WandaVision is given the most dangerous and deadly thing anyone can have, and that is hope. In the end of WandaVision, Wanda Maximoff sees, or here, is foaming through the dark hold and hears her children's voices out in the distance. It is at that moment we are led to believe that she learns of the existence of the multiverses and does the exploring and figures out that there is a possibility or a way for her to have the reality, live in a reality in which her children are alive and they have a happy, wonderful life together. And this sends her down the road to where we find her in Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. So, Chad, I humbly present to you this idea that wanda maximoff is the is the key to the title multiverse of madness because the multiverse and the hope that it offers her of a the happy ending that has eluded her her entire life has driven her to madness because of the hope that it offers and that she is at an extremely distressed point pushed to the point of madness one might say over trying to find this happy ending so i say to you chad it was not about the premise of jumping to alternate realities or seeing the the zero gravity zone or seeing uh the the nether regions or the citadel at the end of time or any of these other various locations that have that have implications for the future of the marvel cinematic universe it was instead about how hope And belief can power people to extreme ends when they are mourning and in grief. Your thoughts, sir. I yield the floor.
1: (laughs) That is an interesting theory. Um, And I can see where you're going with it. and It makes sense in the context of what we've seen in the movie. My only pushback is that it requires a lot of the people reading and seeing the movie to come up to, to come up with that explanation. Not saying that it's wrong, not saying that it's not possible, but most people are going to see that and their thoughts going to be Oh, we're going to a bunch of multiverses. Blah blah blah. Which we did. It's just not in the way that they wanted. And to those people I say
0: Yeah, it's not the negative zone. It's not uh the upside down. It's not you know, name crazy alternate Earth reality in any of the Marvel comic books. It's not that. And that's what they thought they were getting, I think, is what, is, is what the vibe of the piece was.
1: Yeah, and I can, I can kind of get if people are upset about that. But the whole thing is, you know, even, even though at the point we're at right now in Marvel... Is a far cry from what Iron Man was when in two thousand eight. There are still some there are still some concepts you have to build and teach people about. The multiverse is one of them. Uh, at, we we got we started getting taste of it in Loki. We saw stuff about it in Spider Man. Now we've seen stuff about it in Doctor Strange. The way this is going, it looks like the multiverse is going to play a big part going forward, and and maybe. Is the culminating part of the next uh, part of the Mar- Marvel saga. If that's the case, you want to make sure it's on incredibly solid footing by the time you get to whatever your, uh, for lack of a better word, end game is for that phase. So, could the the title may have drove more expectations than Marvel intended. And the title very much could have been the deeper meaning that you're suggesting with water, because that does make sense. But for most people just see the title, especially coming off of Spider-Man, they have a very specific image of multiverse and some people may have thought that uh, they lost, they didn't get what they were expecting. And and to that, all I can say is that's the dangers of expectations. You can have them, but understand that you're not necessarily guaranteed to get them, so judge what you got instead of what you wanted.
0: Well, I mean, even in even in No Way Home, Chad, we only get the mirror dimension, really. Like, like we only get the the mirror realm where he traps Strange so he can go do his do his thing, and we get the the portals opening up in the sky, you know, with silhouettes of other people from other universes. We don't actually jump into another alternate universe the way that we do in say uh into the spider-verse so like you know we don't really have that that kind of uh you know a you know multiverse hopping movie uh even in no way home um i li- like it's a universal thing that like almost everyone can get their heads around i think is that grief grief leaves an impact grief sinks sinks its teeth into you and doesn't let go sometimes. And when you are sad and when you are lonely and when you are heartbroken and you are missing something that is so vital, uh, vitally important and such a big part of who you are and your identity, you, you long for it in a way that is deeply moving. Um, uh, Rawling, for all of her shortcomings does beautiful work writing about grief in the harry potter world um where they they introduce the idea of both the mirror of arised and the resurrection stone both of which play a a role in trapping people to their deaths because they are shown projections or images or shadows of the loved ones that are gone and they get duped into this they fall into this uh you know, the state of constant longing to the point where the, the dude with the resurrection stone literally ends up killing himself because he wants to be with his lover so badly that he can now, that he can only see, but a veil separates him from. And, you know, it's a very deep and painful meditation on the idea that you cannot have what is, what is lost. Can it, what is lost cannot be found again. And, and that's something that hits a very deeply and very personally for people who have lost someone that they love and certainly someone who has lost children uh, because parents aren't supposed to outlive their children and in having to lose your kids, even if it is a self-sacrifice, even if they are a creation of your own mind, even if they are um, fictitious, as she is continuously reminded Throughout the film. They were still hers. They were still precious. They were still dear to her. And while she can. Somewhat. While she can somewhat deal with vision. And what vision is. She still has white vision floating around. And she knows that. The kids are her focus. Because losing her kids. Was the biggest tragedy of that for her. And wanting to resurrect them. And wanting to have that that life. She didn't get to have with them. For more than a week. And when you are offered the hope, when somebody gives you a resurrection stone, when somebody gives you a mirror of when somebody gives you an opportunity to bring your loved one back, when you're in that state and you're so desperate, you're going to do whatever you have to do, whatever you can do to make that happen. And it will drive you even the best person in the world to do some very crazy, very messed up things, including ripping, including ripping Reed Richards in half and shredding him like a piece of paper or, you know, making, making a poor man's head explode because he talks like you will go to extreme lengths to try and achieve the thing that to make the hope real. And... I think that's the the point of the movie is like the multiverse and the very idea of an alternate reality where she could be happy drove her to madness, and I I don't think that that's a far leap, and I think that that's the more correct reading of the title instead of, so I would I'd be I I would say be happy with the depth and complexity of the movie Marvel gave us, and don't be a whiny little coward because you know. I shouldn't say coward, but like whiny little you know what about the fact that like, oh, I didn't go to see the negative zone.
1: Uh, who wrote that article?
0: It was uh it was a freelancer, I think. Uh okay. it was it was it was uh, Lloyd somebody. I forgot the the last name, but but the, the piece is still up on Collider because it's 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 very much uh it, it's very much worth a read because it is an interesting take in perspective that basically the movie promised something it didn't deliver, but I have a entirely different reading of that. And it overdelivered delivered for me.
1: I may, I'm not going to read it. I should read it, but I'm probably not going to read it. it. It sounds like the kind of thing, well, while it may have good points, it's probably going to annoy me that they, they pretty much let their expectations uh, control what they actually got. If they didn't like what they got, that's one thing they didn't like what they got because it's not what they wanted that's something else
0: so here's where i come back to to the jonathan majors thing um we're gonna talk now about phase five and or phase four and phase five and and some quotes that kevin feige has given and the the way i'm gonna tie this back together is um i feel like There was a pushback in response to Multiverse of Madness. And I saw a couple of articles on Collider and a few other places where it's like... Man, this Phase 4 sucks. It's so slow. It's so boring. It don't have nothing to do with anything. Everything's so separate. Everything is so spread out. Like There's no coherent uh place that it's going it has no narrative direction it's just foolishness and yet feige magically comes out today and basically says by the end of the summer you'll know more and i feel like what he said and you can give the exact quotes here in a second but i feel like what he said was basically like feige doesn't do this he wasn't on press junket he wasn't out there publicizing anything he wasn't asked a question this is feige just saying we're going to do this and to me that's a very unfeige-esque move and i feel like it's in response to those kind of clickbait articles that we got after multiverse of madness about how phase four is incoherent
1: okay so actually looking at this the quotes are from um they're actually part of a press junk it's it's for Thor, Love and Thunder. It's from Total Film. Uh, oh, that's where,
0: see, I didn't I, I, didn't know he was already on the press tour. Because I thought, I know he had just finished the one for Miss Marvel. I didn't know that he was on the, they were already on the Th- Love and Thunder junket. But that would make sense considering the premiere is like the 5th of July.
1: <laughs> yeah, this, this is from the, uh, the cover story of Total Film. So he would have done this interview probably at least a month ago. But uh, here are the quotes from... Um, that are included in the total film cover story. Um, He says, as we're nearing the end of phase four, I think people will start to see where this next saga is going. Confides Feige in the new issue, uh, which hits shelves uh, Wednesday, no, Thursday. Uh, He goes on. I think there have been many clues already that are at least apparent to, to me of where this whole saga is going. But we'll do a little bit more direct. We'll be a little more direct about that in the coming months. To set a plan, so audiences who want to see the bigger picture can see a tiny, tiny, tiny bit more of the roadmap. End quote. So what do you take that to mean, Chad? Uh, first, I'd like to point out that he throws out the, you know, we have clues already. And I know, I, I mean, these clues are really apparent to me. And I just had to chuckle because it's like, of course they're apparent to you. You know everything already. That's a bit of an asshole move there, Kevin. But I digress.
0: Well, I think, see, I interpreted that more as him saying, I'm a comic book nerd. Like, I've put references in here comic book nerds would know. I've said things like multiverse, like uh, convergence. I have put buzzwords in there that comic book nerds should know point in one general direction. So it should be fairly
1: obvious. I mean, I can get, I get that, and that's probably the way he meant it because you're right. There are things that have been that have shown up, and they've said repeatedly, and made emphasis, and there's been specific emphasis on certain things. That yes, if you are aware of the stuff, then you kind of have an idea of what they're doing. But if you just read it and you know Kevin Feige, and you know that he knows everything, it just it just made me laugh a little bit. I don't think he meant any harm by it. Uh, but what I take from the the, ent- the entire quote is um, well when I first heard the gist of this the quote uh, earlier today I didn't see where it came from I just kind of saw I don't even think I saw the whole quote I just kind of saw what he was saying and my first thought was that meant oh we're going to when we get to uh, Comic Con or Avengers Con whatever they're doing we're doing
0: Comic Con in July and then D twenty three in August. Okay, so
1: at those two events, we're gonna we're gonna know more about what's coming down the pipe. And in that context, I was like, okay, so they're gonna tell us some movie like more release date, or not release dates, but more movies that are coming, you know, that kind of stuff. Reading the quote in context like this, um, I think uh I think between, well, no, the the only it seems like more, we get more information from in context clues like from the movies and TV shows, and since he's saying, well, no, in the coming months, that will point to Thor and um, She Hulk as the next ones up on deck to be done during this summer, uh, so. That's how the quote reads. It sounds like it, within the context of the things we're providing, you'll get more information about where we're going, and you'll you, you know a little bit. I just didn't I didn't think that movie or those shows would be like giving us great direction where we're going. And I don't think it from what he's saying, it's not going to be great direction, but more of a direction that might satisfy people that think it's rudderless right now uh he still could he still could be implying uh that the the cons are what we're going to get some more information but in the in in this context it seems like we're getting it from mcu textual evidence which will be the movies and tv shows
0: and i would think honestly chad that it could be both that there could be some stuff in Thor, Love, and Thunder. We know that Guardians 3 will take place and the, and the holiday special will both take place after um, Love and Thunder. Um, so it could provide some contextual evidence that way. I don't think She Hulk has much to do with anything outside of just giving us more banner and abomination. And who knows if Abomination's even a bad guy now because he's been, you know, hanging out with the uh, Sorcerer Supreme making money on a side hustle. Um, but. <laughs> Like I think he mean he could mean both, but I think I think I think he primarily means we're gonna go to the con. And if there's a line in the book, I don't know if you finished reading it or not, but there's there's a line in the book where they where Feige basically says, we don't go to Comic Con unless we have the goods. And so if they're gonna do Hall H and then they're gonna turn around and do Hall D twenty three a month later, that's what they did in 2019. They went, they revealed a bunch of stuff about movies and TV shows at Comic-Con in Hall H and and sent everybody on fire and introduced Marciana Ali as Blade. And then they came back in a month and added Loki and Moon Knight and Miss Marvel and several other TV shows and did a a 23 panel. I expect them to do the same thing this summer. And I think that he feels whether he feels like it needs to be done to get people off their backs or not is a different story. But I do think reading that those quotes today, it seemed to me to be an indication that he was trying to say, "Let's just hold hold on to the end of the summer, hold on to the end of summer, and and you'll see something that says secret wars, and you'll know exactly where we're going."
1: I agree with that, um, but. You, like you just said, you think that it's going to re- be a repeat of 2019. So, what do you think? So, what do you think we're going to get at Comic Con, and what are we going to get at D23? Like,
0: I, th- I think. As specific th- as you think you could be. I think at D20, I think it, at Comic Con in San Diego and Hall H, you get. Uh, Confirmation about 2024 and 2025. I think you get confirmation about things like um, that. That would include things like a Loki season two, uh, a blade movie, um, a, a no uh, a Neymar movie, um, you know, the Marvels or whatever's going to happen with the Marvels. Um, you'll get, you'll get some guardians three stuff. You'll get, uh, you know, basically they'll they'll preview their 2023 slate and they'll give you some titles for 24 and 25. And I think they'll add some TV shows in there and then in in the 23 and 24, the 24 and 25 slate. And then I think the end, the last thing that will be released at Comic-Con will be the announcement of a Secret Wars movie. And I think that will just make everybody go crazy. And I wouldn't be surprised. Don't hold me to this. But I would not be surprised if you also get a Young Avengers or a, uh, you know, we're already getting a Thunderbolts movie. That'll be announced, I'm sure, at Comic-Con. But I, I would also expect a Young Avengers movie to also be on the slate. And then at D23, I honestly think you add in a couple of more Disney Plus shows the way that they did um at the at the con at the convention in 19 you could in theory do the movie slate at comic-con and do the tv slate at d23 because it's all exclusively on disney plus and there are Disney plus subscribers there and you want to give them a reason to stay signed up so that you could do it that way um but I, th- I i also think that if you announce the secret wars you announce it with the director and um I, I just don't see any way around that being the Russos. I, I just don't.
1: Okay, so for me, what I think, I, I agree with largely uh, with large parts of what you're saying. I do think it's going to be, you know, it'll kind of when you filter it all down, it'll be movies, Comic Con, TV shows, E twenty three. I do, I think Comic Con is largely going to be previewing the slate of movies that are coming between now and next Comic-Con. so um, Black Panther, which is still miraculously coming out in, in November. Uh, Ant-Man. Um, I can't remember. The Marvels you'll probably get something for, especially because Miss Marvel is on right now. And of course, Guardians. Um, I've, I've heard, I think there was an announcement that blaze started filming so i think you'll get like they'll mention that um and i think anybody that has that's appearing in these movies that are coming out that has a disney plus show coming out in the next calendar year they'll probably mention it and maybe uh do something to get you excited for that a little bit uh i don't think i don't think they'll do secret wars but mostly because I don't think secret wars is a thing that happens the, like next year or even the year after that I think we're looking at, like secret wars is happening I think it's like two years away so I don't well, think see, I,
0: I like like I said I f- I feel like they're gonna they're gonna talk 24 and 25 which is three years out
1: so I don't think they'll go that far out I think they'll I I think they'll dip their toe in the 24 with stuff like blade um I think the most I, I think they're if they're gonna have a big surprise for um, for Comic Con, I think that's when you get either your director and or your cast for Fantastic Four. Um, I, I think that's I think that's their big surprise. Um,
0: four and twenty four.
1: Yeah. Uh, the The other possibility is, and I say this only because there seems to be a lot of um, a lot of. Peripheral talking about how the Deadpool stuff is progressing with with uh, the MCU, uh, you might get some some tidbits with that, but I think that I think those two things are like your surprises for for, uh, for Comic Con. I think D twenty three is like you'll leave Comic Con knowing what movies are coming out next year and like what movies are coming out in the first part of 2024 and then you get to D23 and they do the same thing Will they fill in the gaps with the shows that are coming over the next year and a half. Uh, and I don't know. Uh, I don't know what surprise you would have there because I think it would skew more towards TV. Uh, maybe an official I don't know. Well, we know Loki 2 is coming and all that. So I don't know what well, oh, don't we forget we
0: also have a Captain America four.
1: Yes, we do have Captain America four. I I don't know how far actually they might be past the script stage, so they might actually be one. I of think those Mackie approach.
0: said something about it recently about filming late in the year.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah. So like,
0: Wandavision is not getting a second season. Falcon no. Winter Soldier is getting leading into Captain America four. Mm-hmm. Loki's getting a season two. What if has got a season two? Um, Hawkeye is not getting a second season, as far as we know yet. They could just change it from Hawkeye to Kate Bishop, basically. Um, you're doing uh, what is uh, this year so far? We've gotten uh, Moon Knight, which is not getting a second season, as far as we know, and we and we know Miss Marvel is leading directly into uh the Marvels and She-Hulk, we don't know if it's getting a second season. So that's that's all of your Disney Plus series from from Jump.
1: Yeah. Um but we know we're getting the series that we know we're getting we know we're getting Ironheart. We know we're getting Secret Invasion. Um
0: I know We're getting a what if season
1: two. What if season two um
0: it feels like We're getting like Marvel zombies
1: are we getting
0: that? Yeah, they, they officially announced that at Comic-Con 2019, 2020, I believe.
1: Okay, so you hear about that. Uh, on the yeah, on the cartoon side, there's the, the X-Men show, the new Spider-Man show. Um, well, I would say I Am Group, but that'll be... Well, no, that won't be out. It might be out by the time D23 comes around. That comes out in August. But those are the shows we know for sure. Um, but you have a you know there, there's always some other things they can make like I thought I think if they go a Young Justice route I think it'd be it might be something they skew towards the show Uh and that could be your announcement and D23 for that but I don't know that...
0: <laughs> I mean
1: I don't even know I don't well, I just read the screen
0: <laughs> um I just, I don't I don't know how you tie Young Avengers together at this point. Like, I don't know how you tie all those disparate threads together. Like, a Thunderbolts movie makes sense because you've had Julie Louis-Dreyfus running around connecting all these dots. Young Avengers has not been done the same way.
1: It hasn't. And I, like, I really only put it together, I only said it because it's it's such a popular thing to say. But it's, you're, it's a, you're right. It's
0: a popular thing to say, and also, like, They've done it, right? They've introduced all these young young Avengers who have grown up looking at Avengers or related to Avengers. So like there there's that possibility, but like there's not a lot of like you have Julia Louis Dreyfus's character Val connecting, you know, uh, you know the evil the white boy Captain America and uh you know Elena and this person and that person like you 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 she's Nick Furying it you know because you know we get we know good old, uh we, we know good old William Hurt it fast on so it has to be her who leads the Thunderbolt so um you know that makes sense young Avengers while you're introducing the characters it makes sense to do I just don't know how you bring all those pieces together and who who they face because what kind of villain can you do in a Young Avengers movie that doesn't require the old people to show up?
1: Yeah, I, if it were me, just from what everything we know, I think a Young Avengers, like anything with Young Avengers doesn't happen until we're closer to, if we're doing Secret Wars, I don't think it happens until closer to then. Because then there's a natural reason to put all of them together. Uh, I think they'll be like tangentially like connected going before we get to that point but uh as of now that's what i that's what i would do with the young avengers
0: indeed and i do think it also could potentially be a small screen disney plus thing as well um and to tie a bow back on the the jonathan majors is awesome thing um i've gotten upset and frustrated at all these folks who are like it's rudderless it makes no sense okay First of all, grief and how we deal with grief, and characters dealing with personal loss, is a huge theme of phase Phase Four. Okay, that that is a that is a definite theme of Phase Four. Second of all, Kang the Conqueror, quite literally, uh, or sorry, he who remains, the variant he who remains of Kang, set Loki and and Sylvie down and told them exactly what was going to happen you're going to make a choice. You're either going to take over for me or you're going to kill me. And if you kill me, then there's going to branch out and we're going to go back to a multiversal war. And You think my me, if you think I'm evil, I'm pretty messed up, but the other dudes, they're way more messed up than I am. And so like the last scenes of Loki season one are Loki running around, basically saying, we have got a war coming. We need to prepare. So it seems to me like they have very clearly told people where they're going. It's just a matter of whether or not you have the comic book knowledge and foresight to know that that's where they're going with this. And it opens up all kinds of possibilities in terms of like, you know, bringing older actors in, bringing new actors to play other versions, all these different things. But I think that's that, that Jonathan Majors and that excellent performance in the finale of Loki told you exactly where they're going and what they're doing. And I I think that you're silly if you can't see that, especially at this point.
1: Well, you know, people see what they want in in these things. And again, I think I I will, I will,
0: I will, I will just never get on board with somebody being like the title of the movie. It got me too excited. They didn't deliver on the promise. Dude, you got a good movie. Just sit, sit your ass down and watch the movie. Because I guarantee you the same person who was disappointed because they didn't go to the to the negative zone or any of the other alternate universes also saw the movie three times and paid to see it every time.
1: <laughs> That's typically how that goes.
0: Indeed. So I cannot get out of a podcasting session without making Chad talk about the DCEU. Talk about Warner Brothers and their constant search for their he-who-remains to guide their timeline. And the fact that Ezra Miller is a very messed up individual. What are they going to do with the Flash, Chad? What are they going to do with the Flashpoint movie? Led by Michael Keaton and Ezra Miller. And Ben Affleck.
1: This is quite the conundrum for for DC because... uh, I mean, from the little bit, I know. It seems like, you know, they're doing um, screenings for The Flash. You know how they do those screenings and then the test screenings and they'll fix things and all that.
0: Yeah, friends and family screenings, yeah. Uh,
1: yeah. Well, no, they, uh, they'll they actually, um, when they actually, I don't wanna, they don't pay them, but they just get volunteers kind of. Yeah, they have my, test audiences.
0: They, yeah, they test audiences, yeah. They're, they're called test screenings, but some studios just go do friends and family screenings because they're concerned about leaks. Leaks,
1: Yeah, uh, apparently it doesn't sound like that. It sounds like this is actual like um, test screenings Um, and people seem to really like the movie. Uh, So I I say that to say that uh, since all this has gone down, um, Ezra Miller has had uh, trouble after trouble. And to be clear, everything at this outside of the arrest. Everything at this point are allegations, but it's allegations. Uh, the, the new things are allegations of kidnapping, and I hate that it's it's them that did it. Um, grooming um, of girls that started when they were uh, adolescents and teenagers um, claims that he's got one kidnapped now and that he's done it with another girl before. I haven't looked into that one as much, but again, all of these are allegations, but these are allegations that are tied to the the star, the lead guy, the number one person on the call sheet for uh, one of DC's biggest movies coming up. And if you listen to the right people, the movie that's going to reset everything and let them do whatever they want going forward. So DC has invested a lot into this movie when when we get the budget for the Flash it's probably going to be astronomical why? because every time DC tried and failed to make a Flash movie what they tried and failed before, all the money they spent on those failures gets rolled into this one so if this movie legitimately only costs $200 million to make the budget we're probably going to see is probably going to be like Probably closer to three. Because all the failures rolled in. But it seemed like it was going to be worth it. It was going to pay off. Because people were going to like the movie. But now it's like. Can you even show that movie? Because. It, if nothing else happens. You cannot. You cannot have Ezra Miller. Doing press. And talking about this movie. and I mean unless. These allegations will have to be cleared up. And. He would have to be an like absolutely vindicated, like crystal clear vindication for him to be able to get up there and do this stuff. And even then, he's still going to be asked about what was the experience like. That's not something a movie studio wants to deal with when it's promoting the movie. If it's if these allegations are still just allegations hanging over, they're not going to want to put him on the press tour. And how do you promote this movie without the star? So yeah, they have a lot of they have a lot of uh decisions to make. I one I don't think they can make, they can't reshoot it. Because he is a lead guy. You're, then you're reshooting the entire movie. And whatever the budget was before, you're probably probably adding a third of it right back on to reshoot it because that means not only reshooting Ezra, like cutting him out and putting somebody else new in, everyone that's in those scenes. Has to come back and reshoot everything, and if you're a movie fan and you've heard the stories of Back the first Back to the Future and how what they the pains they went to to reshoot the two to three weeks that Eric Stokes shot and replace him with uh, Michael J. Fox, it was a grind, and that was only two to three weeks. This movie's done. You can't do that. So is it? You cut bait completely and you like wipe your hands of it and just the movie disappears? Or do you do what some people are suggesting that the movie goes to uh, HBO Max where you can soft play promotion and, and you actually don't have to do promotion, you could just drop it if you want? I mean, it's a thought. I, if I were in charge right now, um, as of right now, I'd probably be doing the same thing as them as not making a move because you don't have to make a move right now. you don't uh, you don't have to do anything right now because the movies not coming out for a literally a calendar year. It will be coming up a year from from this week because we're doing this on September 20th. Yeah, I think it comes out on September 23rd next year. So
0: you don't have to do anything uh, right now. Chad, Chad, we're in June.:
1: I mean, what did I say?
0: You said we were in September.
1: I don't know why it says September, uh, but it's June. We, we, yes. we
0: would be three weeks into football season and I would be dead.
1: Yeah, yeah. So and, no, we're, we're know,
0: not. We're no.
1: Yeah, I knew it was June 23rd because that's typically a day Batman movies come out. Yes, June 23rd. Excuse me yes. for saying it. See, September. see, Batman
0: and Robin's exquisiteness 25 years later.
1: Yeah, or Batman Returns uh, 30 years ago. Um, so. I don't think you really like. I don't think you have to pull the trigger on what you're going to do until the end of this year. So, let it first, can you find the guy and get him somewhere where you can have people talk to him and understand what's really going, what's going on from his side. Uh, not to say that you know his side should be the only thing that matters because it clearly doesn't. But nobody's talking to this dude, and then that. These cases, that see what's what's really going on. Are they really, are they what the people accusing him of said? Uh, are they are they not? Do your due diligence before you make a a decision. But right now, no action is fine. Um, by you know the Hollywood break in December, they need to know what they're going to do. They don't have to do it by then, but they need to know what they're going to do.
0: I agree. It's just an interesting and complex situation that's, you know, different from uh, All the Money in the World. Um, it's just this film is centered around him. Uh, and that's that's a completely different animal when we get to, in terms of reshooting things, whereas All the Money in the World was fairly easy to reshoot. I think I think All the Money in the World was a three, two to three week reshoot. So that's kind of a standard thing. This is you're talking about reshooting 12 did it 18 weeks, which is yes. a lot more challenging. So, uh, and not financially feasible. I mean, it cost, the reason the Justice League budget ballooned the way they did was because they shot the movie twice. Literally shot the movie twice. So, I don't think they want to do that. The new regime wants to do that. I just don't think they do. And if they completely just downplay it and put it on, on HBO Max, they lose the money. So... Um, it'll be interesting to see. But that'll about do it for this week's podcast. If you want to keep up with this podcast, you can follow us on Twitter. I am at BCWTigerFan.
1: I'm at the Spirit.
0: This is, thank you very much, and this is your reminder that the Joker, Joaquin Phoenix, now not only dances after every kill, but he also sings the Star is Born songs the entire time. Thank you very much, and have a pleasant evening. I
1: have a headache now.